Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, Vic sees, Vic hears. Fists raised, taking action. And Black Lives Matter. This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. Okay, John, this is uh, this was a monumental conversation. Uh, we were so proud to be here and... It was also the conversation that came together in, in the shortest amount of time. Yeah, like three days, man. Here we are on a Saturday in Quench, which talk about a nice space. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we want to first thank the yes. three women that were on the podcast today. Three incredibly inspiring, powerful young women. But Yeah, 23, 23, and 25. Yeah, which uh, is important to note. Um especially when you hear them speak that it does not sound like they're, no, they're no. in their early 20s um, because of the the composure, the intelligence, the wisdom. Courage, yeah. Yeah, it, they've got it all. It's it's really impressive and, and inspiring to see where, where they're going to go next. But um, secondly, we want to thank Club Quench for opening up their space to us because of social distancing measures. We wanted to have a bigger space to have the five of us on the conversation. So we contacted Club Quench. They immediately said, yes, we would love to be the host of that conversation. So big thanks to Tessa, Carly, and Sarah, and all the team at, at Club Quench that um, opened up their doors for us on a day they're normally closed and, and uh, gave us their beautiful space. For those of you who haven't checked out Club Quench before, it's a co-working space uh, with an amazing culture. That's the, their big thing. They are actually, they call themselves a culture club. Um, just really positive, forward-thinking people that, that work here. And, and it's open for, for those who, who need a place to work, um, who are solopreneurs or, or freelancers or whatever it may be. Yeah, and Andrew, of course, we first got introduced to these fine women um, about a week and a half ago at the rally in Victoria. Yeah. Uh, the packed rally with, I mean, there's like 9,000 people showed up. Um, I got I to gotta talk about my daughters, um, Maddie and Lexa. They're the ones who really told me about the rally and made it happen. And, and they really pushed for it. And, and I'm so glad I went. And um, it was it was a game changer for me. I, I just I like you. I, I know you've admitted this too. Didn't really think that that racism was really a huge deal in Victoria. Yeah. And that just shows our ignorance and white privilege. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and we talked about in that that in this episode actually how a lot of a lot of racism can sometimes just be ignorant and we're so unaware of it. Yeah. Um, it just it just happens even even sometimes without our knowledge, which isn't an excuse. We also talked about that. For we sure. we have you know we have to educate ourselves and the rally was kind of the beginning of that education mm-hmm. and um and then the kind of conversation went from there yeah i i think it's uh it was an eye-opening um experience for a lot of people i was one of those who thought yeah america has a huge problem you see it um people are crying on the streets people are dying on the streets uh, there is a lot of pain happening there and a lot of it has to do with race and thank God we're not America, and then go to this rally and hear stories of people on Pandora Street who are getting harassed, people having really poor experiences with police uh, due to the color of their skin. And and then hearing the stories that the girls share um, of, of specific racist acts that have happened towards them. Yeah, they, they had, yeah, each of them had experiences which were clearly racially based and um and that's what inspired us to take the action the, even this the small action of uh of sitting down to to record this podcast and and i urge you everyone who's listening uh listen to the end because there there is another action that that we are collaborating with a, a few other parties on to um to bring some positive change so um check that out we'll leave it for the end of the episode but um it's really meaningful to to us to be a part of and um, we're inspired to continue to push forth equality and and do good work and and i think that's what motivates us to be to have started this podcast and, and to continue it as we are today yeah man i felt i felt humbled and i felt honored and privileged to be in the room with these three women and and just hearing hearing their stories and seeing seeing the light in their eye and, and seeing their commitment to justice and the truth and that they're just getting started um, you, you can tell they've, they've been on the, on the trail for a couple of weeks, but they have big plans and they're going to be three people that, that I'm going to look forward to watching their progress. These are three incredible, powerful women, Vanessa Simone, Pamphanette Buisa, and Asiya Robinson. We stand with them.
Okay, well, let's get rolling here. I just, I want to start by uh, thanking the three of you for making the time on short notice to be here. And so I would officially like to welcome each of you, Pam, Vanessa, and Asiya, to the podcast. We're really excited to have you. And uh, thanks for making the time today. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast has been, uh, we've had a lot of episodes on different themes. Basically, each one is kind of unique. And a lot of them have been themes that John and I have some f- familiarity with, whether it's uh, fear or anxiety or dark nights of the soul or helplessness, whatever that may be. But for the first time, we may have encountered an obstacle that John and I actually don't really have any familiarity with, and that being racism. So I just wanted to put that out there um, first and foremost. We both attended the rally last Sunday. And, Amazing. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. Um, it, it, so thank you for, for what you did there as well. And we, uh, we felt like we, it was our duty to reach out and, and ask if you would give us the time to be here. And, and so we're extremely grateful for that. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. Um, one of the signs that I saw, it said something like, um, we will never understand, but we will stand mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that was another uh, appropriate sentiment for um, for beginning the conversation, and I wanted to ask, what was uh, what did you learn from the fact that nearly ten thousand people showed up to Centennial Square and another ten thousand people were live streaming the event? Yeah, what what did that teach you about Victoria? Um, I think it showed that people are ready to learn. People are ready for a conversation. Um, People just want to have conversation, get to know each other. And I think what's important about this movement is that, yes, racism is happening, but what can I do? And Victoria's a predominantly white area. Um, so seeing how many people were engaged in trying to have a conversation, trying to learn and unpack their biases and, and, and put themselves in uncomfortable positions, that's a testament to where we are and where we're moving towards. Mm. So having it at Centennial Square, we wanted to take up space. We wanted to be at the heart of Victoria. And we wanted to also showcase that black people are present, black and brown lives matter, and our experiences and our voices deserve a platform. Mm. And so that was what, you know, Sunday was for us. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great. You know, a, a word we've probably heard more in 2020 than ever, and maybe in all of human history, is the word isolation. Mm. Mm. And that's because of the pandemic, of course. But it, it's also interesting to me that's really at the heart of racism is just that isolation of, of from each other mm-hmm. and those categories and things like that. And so I wonder if that's one of the reasons why these rallies across the nation are so well attended is because maybe for the first time people are starting to get what it feels like to be isolated from, from others. And I'm just wondering... Um, um, if you've thought about maybe the connection between sort of the current world isolation and just what lies at the heart of racism. Yeah, that's an amazing and a really deep question. And I think um, you're, you're right on the nose when it comes to racism. A lot of the reason why it's so prevalent, a lot of the reason why it's so easy to break apart minorities is because um, we are isolated in these instances and people don't want to step up and, and stand and face and be a support or be an ally or be there when things happen. And so um, there's that isolation that I would feel in an individual case and then there's no one even to talk to about it afterwards or no help that comes past that. And so um, during this period of the pandemic, everyone was isolated. And in addition to that, hearing the news in the states and having to suffer through those emotions alone i think it just drove everyone to say we want to support we want to come out we want to be there because we're tired of being alone and that's also why sunday was so strong was because we brought all of our black community up on stage with us it was us coming together in a way that we have never here in victoria before and it was us feeling like we had the right to do so without prejudice without fear without worry that something was going to happen it was just us growing as a community during a time of absolute devastation so i i completely concur i think that isolation is at the heart of racism but we're recognizing and part of our statement on sunday was that we're not going to let it be anymore we're going to make sure we're coming together as black people we're going to make sure we're coming together as minorities bringing our indigenous brothers and sisters with us it's it's about all of us together because you can't break us when we're together 
Yeah, it's like that isolation as well as that sense of belonging as well. Mm -hmm. And a few um, black individuals came up to me and they're saying like, oh my goodness, like I've never felt like I've belonged before in Mm -hmm. this community. Mm -hmm. And just to have um, the black individuals come up when we encourage them to come up on stage Mm -hmm. and to be surrounded by us, they just felt that family and that connection. And that's what we were searching for and hoping for. There was even a mom who reached out and she texted me and she was like, me and my daughter were so happy and so honored to be called up on stage with you. And it was like a little girl and she sent us the photos and it just warmed my heart so much. I thought I was going to cry when I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. There were some adorable children. (laughs) Yeah. Adorable. Yeah. Um, So we wanted to ask as well, um, there's an expression that you get what you're ready for and Clearly, the three of you were ready to put this rally on. Um, But that, I mean, just in it it shows how well it was executed, how there was there was no incidents whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It it just I mean, at least from our perspective, Mm -hmm. it seemed like a really well executed event. Um, But a lot of work went into it. So we were curious. um, Obviously, this isn't the first time that you've been part of speaking your minds and standing up for what you believe in. But um, what were just maybe a, a, a small uh, a small sample size of what, what kind of things that you were each involved with before mm. getting into this movement and, and planning the, this rally in particular? So um, Monday, um, early morning, like 2.30 in the morning, I couldn't sleep. Um, a lot of um, my friends, black individuals, have not been able to sleep because of obviously what's going around um, in the world. And I just needed something to happen. Um, my friend in Vancouver messaged me and was asking me, oh, is like Victoria doing anything with regards to rallies and all that sort of stuff? And I was like, no, it's crickets over here. Like, there's nothing happening. And he's like, oh, well, why don't you start something? And I'm like, me? Like, I can't do anything. And he's like, Vanessa, like, you can do it. And I'm like, ugh. I don't know. So then I, yeah, I couldn't sleep. And then I made a Facebook event that morning and um, I invited Pam and close friends that I knew would attend. Um, But when I made it, I just kind of knew that it was either going to be me alone and a couple of friends. And then Pam um, messaged me and was kind of like, are you, are you making this event? Like, are we doing this? And I was like, yeah, we're doing this. And so she's just sent out so many invites and it just snowballed into, um, a thousand people showed up on Monday to this rally. Um, we were at, um, Centennial and then we walked to legislative and like, I had no prior, um, rally experiences. I've been to protests, but I was always like on the sidelines. I've never actually led anything. Um, and with regards to like behind the scenes of like my my personal things, like I do talk publicly about my mental health, about racism um, on my social media pages. But with regards to like standing in front of a crowd and speaking, <laughs> what what I've said on social media is like definitely nothing that I've ever done before. And um, I've just like have found myself and my confidence. And these ladies have definitely helped bring it out of me as well. Like doing interviews with different newscasts. (laughs) Like I've called them being like, oh, people want to do these news um, interviews with me. Like, I don't think I can do it. And they're like, Vanessa, like you started this. Like you can do it. And I'm like, okay, yes, yes. Okay, I can, I can. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's been amazing. But you know, it occurs to me that confidence comes from speaking from a place deep within you of belief. Mm. Right, and then, mm. and then and then it just takes care of itself. Once mm. you have a once you have a stage, so to speak, or or a place to share that message, and, and it's and it comes from the pores of who mm-hmm. you are, confidence becomes a non-issue mm-hmm. because you can't not not exactly. get up and talk about mm-hmm. it. Yes, and I just think it's such a powerful message for everyone listening who thinks, "What can I do?" It's like you can all do something. It's going to look different for everybody. Mm-hmm. You can all do something. That's what you could have done. And um, we'll look. It's just the beginning, right? Exactly. We're just getting started. Yes, yes she is. We're <laughs> just starting to roll up those sleeves. Yeah. 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 yeah, I would say um, when it comes to protests and public demonstrations of, I guess, my identity, I've never partaken in that at all. Um, one thing I'm comfortable with is wearing the Maple Leaf. I play rugby for Team Canada, and um, that's usually my testament of who I am and my identity, but first and foremost, I wear my skin every day. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got that invite at 4 a.m. in the morning and I showed up and I was super anxious because I've seen what protests are like. Um, I was watching the indigenous protests that were happening and I was always so scared to show. 
because I know I play rugby for Canada. I know that if people see me and this goes bad, I also will be accorded with that as well. And so for me, I was like, I'm so scared, but I also have a platform. But at the same time, I just don't want something bad to happen. And that doubt that was instilled in me for a long time that I know I have the potential to do this, but I've never really tapped into it. So when Vanessa was like, hey, I'm doing this. And I was like, you believe in yourself? then of course I should. Mm -hmm. And when we got on the stage, <laughs> um, it was on Monday and I was, I couldn't speak. I, I, the only thing I could do was chant. That's mm -hmm. the only thing I could do. And my best friend was in the crowd and she's like, get up there, speak. This is what we're doing, we're speaking. And then I started speaking and I was like, there's something about being okay with being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm figuring that out as we mm -hmm. are doing this and, and meeting new people and being okay with, learning with like, if I need a minute to feel what I'm feeling right now, yeah, that's okay. Because that's a part of this experience, mm -hmm. but it's also a part of showing that you're valid, mm -hmm. your experience is valid. And, you know, a lot of people could connect to that. And I think, you know, as someone that travels and, and, you know, wears the maple leaf, it's also important to showcase that you can have many different passions. You are different, mm -hmm. but also important in mm -hmm. everywhere you go. So that was kind of like my, my journey through this. So having Vanessa and Asiya alongside of me has just been lovely. And Sunday, she killed it. <laughs> yes. Monday and Monday, she was nervous. Sunday, she was like, okay, oh I'm ready. <laughs> this is round two. Let's get it. <laughs> um, and for me, I've spoken very openly when it comes to my religion. As a Muslim, um, from a very young age, I started wearing my hijab when I was nine. And growing up in the Bahamas, me and my mom were the only people who ever had the hijab on. So it was a constant conversation. It was a constant battle with that community. Um, and then when I got here as well, and you know, people have ripped it off my head. People have shouted at me, different curses and slurs when it comes. So I've always been on that platform speaking out about my religion and speaking out against Islamophobia and anti-Semitic um, rhetoric and um, like hosting events or just speaking at events and things like that. But whenever I show up, it's like a Muslim woman who happens to be black. And I've never had the narrative of solely this is my color and I want to speak about my experiences as a black person, as a black woman. And so that was terrifying for me because it's not a narrative that I'm used to. I'm not used to carrying um, my skin as heavy as I did on that day. Um, but I really just with the girls beside me with Pam and Vanessa it's just it was amazing I saw what they did on Monday I was not in a headspace I was absolutely distraught after everything happening and I was not coherent um and so on Tuesday and on Wednesday when they were like we're doing this do you want to I was like I'm doing this let's get it um because I, it was just so important for me to to just sit in my identity as a black person um and so it's that's a new avenue for me but speaking out man i've always been outspoken like <laughs> that's always been me and one common thing for, from all your stories is i don't know if you've caught caught dave Chappelle's stand-up that just came out this yeah. week 846 mm -hmm. right 846 um, of course stands for um the amount of time that um that officer was kneeling on mm -hmm. the throat of george floyd yeah. anyway so Chappelle gets up and he talks and one of the things he said at one point was people have been asking me for weeks like why haven't you said anything mm -hmm. and he's like I, I don't have to speak because the streets are crying out mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that's that's what happened here mm -hmm. um, and anyways it just it resonated with me thank you yeah yeah so something that you just mentioned um, I want to kind of follow up on mm -hmm. and in in terms of the obstacles that you've been presented with and, and that is the core of, of the conversations that we have. Um, do you have any examples that come to mind? You, you mentioned the hijab being ripped off of your head. Any any stories or examples of how your own skin color, how race has been an obstacle for you in your lives in Canada? Yeah, so for me, I was adopted when I was three and a half from Haiti um, and I was adopted um, by a Christian family that was all Caucasian um, I was the only one that was adopted and I grew up in a predominantly Caucasian area so I experienced racism at school as well as I experienced racism in the home um, I was constantly singled out I was I just knew that I was different and I was told that I was different um, and at school it was kind of the same as well with regards to just academics um, and sports and all that sort of stuff like the, my color of skin was kind of it was hanging over me and I just wanted to be a different color I just wanted to be Caucasian and be like my friends 
Um, and a specific example, I'm trying to figure out. Where, where was, where did you grow up? I grew up in White Rock. Okay. Yeah, hence the name. <laughs> and, and if nothing comes up, that's, that's totally okay. And, or you can, you can chime in. Yeah, I mean, I might chi- chime in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's so many that I'm just trying to like yeah. hone on one. Yeah. And specific. And we do appreciate that, that you're even kind of going into this territory. Cause I, I know, and, and we've, um, in speaking with past guests, it, it's not easy to go back into moments of trauma yeah. and, and moments of, of fear and, and recall them. It, it can actually bring some of those feelings back. So yeah. um, just want to want to make sure you all feel like you don't have to um, mm-hmm. say anything that you're not you're not comfortable with or, mm-hmm. or that you're not ready to. That's um, mm-hmm. Thank that's you. totally Thank your you. choice. I, that. Yeah. I, uh, I had one time. Where uh, it was myself and two of my other friends, we were at McDonald's and we were the only three black people in the McDonald's. It was here in Victoria. Um, we were talking, it was after like, I don't know, nine, 10. And uh, there was a group of girls, um, Caucasian girls, were like in, like engaging in the conversation when we weren't talking with them. And they were like, hey, sorry, we're, we weren't speaking with you. And then all of a sudden, I think she was under the influence, and she's like, this is why my mom told me black people are aggressive, and just starts going off. And at this point, myself and another one of my teammates, who's also on the national team, were like, hey, you know, miss, we're not talking to you. Please stop. Like, this is not, like, keep it moving, you know? Um, And she's going off. She's yelling. Her boyfriend's getting in on it, yelling, like, getting aggressive. And at this point, I'm thinking... There's two black girls who are muscular, who are aggressive looking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a security guy that's right there standing. Mm-hmm. And I go to the security guy. I'm like, hey, can you get this girl to leave? Like, she's being super verbally aggressive. She's yelling at me. She's like calling me all types of N-words and everything. And he's like, you people need to get over it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And here I am, a poli-sci major, studying social justice, trying to use all the most articulate words. I can have pull up Google so you know who, who you're dealing with, but that doesn't matter at that point because mm-hmm. the only thing that they see is the color of my skin. Yeah. And so I'm like, sir, like, I'm, like again, I'm, take, I'm dropping all the fanciest words that I know. And he's like, listen, take your stuff and you need to go. And I'm like, what? And he's getting up in my face. And there's like a packed McDonald's on a mm-hmm. Friday night. Mm-hmm. No one is defending us. Yeah. And we're just there. And I'm like, and he's yelling at me. And then she's coming in my face. Mm-hmm. And I just see like, I just feel like I'm surrounded and I'm alone in that situation. I'm like, mm-hmm. if I hit this girl, if I touch this girl, that's my Olympic career down the drain. Mm-hmm. If I do anything at this moment, doesn't matter what happens, regardless of how verbally aggressive she is, doesn't matter. I'm a black, muscular, angry girl and she will win Mm -hmm. and ultimately we got kicked out so i called their head people and they said um we'll talk to that talk to him sorry about that next day i see him there and nothing happened and i'm like does it even matter who i am does it matter you know anything it's he didn't care just what you look like it's just this is the situation and i'm like at that, I just felt so helpless because I'm literally like, if I present too angry, I'm no longer able, I'm too emotional. Mm-hmm. If I'm too calculated in my, my advances, I'm being too passive. Mm-hmm. So there's no winning in any of the situation. I'm strictly isolated. And at that point, everybody's calling me, oh, you need to calm down, relax, figure it out. It's okay, just leave, just leave. And I'm like, I was eating my junior chicken in peace and now I'm getting kicked out. So. Wow, that's well, heavy, thanks for sharing. You know what I wonder is if you ask that security guard, Hey man, are you a racist? You're like, mm-hmm. what? I'm not a racist. And, and this is where the discussion, in, in some ways, you know, starts to begin a little bit because most people have asked, would be, I'm not a racist. Yeah. You know, but um, Ibram, um, I forget his last name. He, he wrote the book Anti-Racist, mm-hmm. and he says, not racist is not a thing. Mm-hmm. You're either racist or you're anti-racist, and so it's either like you're part of the problem or you're part, part of the solution. solution. And, and, and I think there's so many people who live in that I'm not a racist and that's enough. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to admit that I think most of my life, I just lived to not be a racist. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about like, what, what, am, what am I doing or what can I do to like create a world that's more, you know, anti-racist. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I just wonder, you know, 
going into that territory for a second because I think most people would be like I'm not a racist mm. but they don't even realize how racist they are there's yeah. so many microaggressions going on mm-hmm. there's so many just indoctrinated things they don't yeah. even know I think it's because of the word itself when people think racism they're thinking lynching they're thinking murder you know they're thinking end of spectrum but racism comes in all forms shapes and sizes mm-hmm. and people aren't considering the microaggressions that are so so structured here in Canada you know like nobody you don't consider that as racism unless you've experienced it yourself um, yeah 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 and we watch movies like 13th uh, and mm-hmm. we see America we look at America and the glaring examples of mm-hmm. um, just systemic racism the tradition from um, from slavery to the prison systems now mm-hmm. just some obvious parallels there but what is easier tempting to do mm-hmm. is especially as white people is say oh well you know thank god we're not america mm. uh they've got it mm-hmm. so it's a real problem down there yeah. but that dismissing it um can get us in, in a lot of trouble so sure. um what what is your reaction to to the assumption that it's it's not really a problem yeah, here well do you want to well, actually, um, the thing with Canada is is I came here with that impression. So coming from the Bahamas and coming from, I think, as an international student, Canada externally, you don't hear about the the structure and the, the absolute genocide of Indigenous peoples. You don't hear about that. That's not a narrative anymore. And so coming here, I had no idea, like none whatsoever. And I really, I had a choice between choosing between going to China, to the States, or to Canada for school. And I was like, Canada. Canada is a bubble place. It's fluffy there. Everything's great. I'm going to Canada. Um, and And it's... The reason why the experience that I immediately thought of when you asked came to mind was because that was my... Like, I saw it, but that was my first absolute shake into reality that, no, Canada is just, like, everywhere else. I was um, I was on, like, BC Transit, and I was just coming from Uvic to go downtown. And um, normally I sit in the front of the bus, um, but then this elderly lady came in in a wheelchair, and so I moved to the back of the bus. Um, and it was a packed bus. The bus driver could hear everything clearly. Um, and I'm just sitting in the corner, and um, this guy stands two feet in front of me he gets up he's like on the side of the bus and he gets up and he starts i mean yelling i mean end this you're a terrorist you should kill yourself get out of the country get out of the and i mean for like five to seven minutes and you always think well if this happened to me or if this happened in front of me i i would say something back i would do something but confronted with that level of disgust and anger i just didn't i didn't understand where it was even coming from to be able to combat it and some of the things he said i was like i don't know if you're attacking my religion i don't know if you're attacking my race i don't know if it's both i don't know and i was just sitting there like curled in on myself and a full bus and nobody said anything nobody said i mean it's a compact space a bus people hear everything in buses and the bus driver was silent all of the people sitting were silent um, until and you can know you know he heard actually you know everybody heard because when he was finished shouting at me when he thought he said enough he banged on the wall and he was like bus driver I want to get off and he pulled right over and he got off and I just sat there and I got off on the next stop and I just like walked home and I was terrified to get on transit again and that sits with me like I I vivid like whenever you ask like I vividly remember that because that was my first like Canada is just like everywhere else and the problem is is that sometimes microaggressions you don't you can't tell when they happen. Like someone says something and it hurts and you're like, why did that feel uncomfortable? And you go home and you parse it out and you're like, that was racist. That was a racist comment. But in this society, we're so used to just apologizing. Oh, sorry. And then we're never talking about, well, why was that wrong? Why can't you say that? Why? Why? It's always just, sorry, I won't do it again. But you probably will do it again because you don't understand. And sorry doesn't mitigate what happened. But we're a very polite culture and so we're not even opening up to have the conversations that we want we're limiting ourselves from that um but canada has just everything happens here it's really Mm -hmm. not yeah 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 Yeah, and silence is violence yeah Mm -hmm. and i'm curious i don't even want to get into what motivated that person that racist to go on that violent attack because i don't even think it's worth giving that person the time and and Mm -hmm. I, I would say that hurt people hurt people, mm, that, that expression. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't think it's worth the time. But what do you think 
was the motivation for everyone else staying silent in that moment. And I think it's important to, to look at that a little bit closer because then we can maybe figure <laughs> out what we can do to ensure that that doesn't take place anymore. For sure. Part of it, I think everyone's always waiting for someone else to step up first. You know? Oh, well, that person's Deflection closer. They'll step up. Yeah, yeah, that person's there. Maybe they'll step up. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone will say something. And I also think that's part of the, what I said like at the rally. Um, if you're not comfortable engaging, learn how. Some people don't know how to be a proper ally, a proper bystander. It doesn't always physically meaning like when I'm speaking, you cut me off and you're saying, no, I will tell her point for her. It doesn't always mean like literally standing in front of me. Sometimes it just means you're sitting on the side of me and you engage me in a conversation and we ignore the person who's currently shouting at me and we can not give him that time, not give him that energy. But people aren't, people are just like, I'll be an ally, but then it stops there. And I don't think people are engaging with, okay, what is the right act or how do I do this? But it's also fear if you've never if you've never been in that situation before, um, sometimes you don't know how to engage, but that's, that's, that's now on everyone's onus to learn how. Because through that, I've never experienced anyone now that I've ever seen get shout at or anything, and I'm not right there saying something or being that protector because I remember how it felt to have people staring or looking down at their phones and I'm getting wailed on. And I'm, I'm tiny, I'm a small person. And nobody said anything. I will never forget that. And so for me, it's like, I don't know. It also goes back to like the individualistic versus collectivist society. Mm. And with regards to just like our community as a whole. And I feel even just like Sunday with regards to everyone coming together as a Mm. community. I think like we just need to stand up for each other. And I think that's also a step that we need to take. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you are just sitting on the bus minding your own business, yes, you're, you're in your individualistic state. You are in a collective society. Mm-hmm. And we, are, we, we need each other to help um, with racism and this sort of stuff. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, a thing that makes me think, at least I always fall back on the rugby is you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. If you're comfortable with what's happening, then mm. you're not doing. Mm-hmm. You're being complacent. Mm. And, I mean, in a high-performance environment where all you're doing is training and get told, that was not good, you didn't do this right, <laughs> yeah. that's your life. Yeah. If you want to be the best and you want to be have that gold medal at the end of the day, you need to push yourself mm-hmm. in a, a way that, like, this is going to be really not great, mm-hmm. but in order for me to get to where I need to get to, I need to do this. And if we push ourselves, whether you're white, you're black, whatever, in a way that, hey, this is making me feel uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but I know where I need to get to, and you tap into that, things will happen. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we tried to do on Sunday was let's 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 break the boundaries. Let's let's push like let's spread. Spread. Let's Mm -hmm. take up space. Mm -hmm. Because if you're taking up space and you're white and you're black and you're whatever, we're taking up space together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're at the Mm -hmm. heart of the community, we're at the heart of the city. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, I'm challenging something. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm engaging in what's happening. Mm-hmm. That's how we started off. The first thing we did was commitment. Put yeah. your fist up. Yep. If you want to do something, put your fist up. But only if. Only if mm-hmm. you're planning on doing this. Yeah. Vic sees, Vic hears. That's it's not just like words. it's not just words. Mm-hmm. It's if you're doing it, we want to see action alongside that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to like all that, you know, like how do I engage? Just do it. Yes. You just need to put yourself in a position to do it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when you have intent and you're mindful about your positionality mm-hmm. while you're doing mm-hmm. that, things will happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all that needs to happen. Yeah. yeah. And don't ever feel like you've reached your peak either. There are people who are like, oh, well, for example, when it comes to organizations and they have a diversity hire and they're like, okay, well, I've reached my peak. We can't be any more inclusive. We can't be any more anti-racist. No, constantly check yourself. Constantly. What else can I do? Because things come up. You can't ever just be complacent of where you are. You might have done some work, but this is a like an endless path for all for everybody for everyone that's such a strong point like like i think that's the difference between assimilation and equality mm-hmm. mm. i like that you know and, and i think you know assimilating still means like come into our culture in our society mm-hmm. in our job and yeah you can you can live and be yourself but it's still ours mm-hmm. but equality yeah. means it's ours yeah mm-hmm. you know ours. It's, and, yeah. yeah ours yeah and and it's a we and it's not mine yeah i kind of said that yeah. well, we're but like ours we, we get it yeah we get it <laughs> <laughs> She said it better, John. <laughs> <laughs> Way better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And by the way, everyone's been wondering what that guy's last name is. It's Kendi. 
you bring candy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Ah. And, and um, one of the things he said in that, and it made me think of going back to the bus because I think that's such an important point and, and a place where a lot of our listeners will find themselves. In that moment, they have they have two choices. Mm-hmm. They're, they're part of the problem or they're part of the solution. Yeah. Silence mm-hmm. means they're living in the, well, I'm not being racist right now. Yeah. But that's not helpful. Right. And, and, um, and so... If anything, and then what you said, it's just, it was brilliant because um, some people, they're not, they're not, um, they don't know how to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so if they can't even be uncomfortable in small things, mm-hmm. there's no way they're going to have the courage to, to stand up for somebody on the bus. Mm-hmm. So starting to get uncomfortable in small thing, things, which we talk about in the podcast all the time, mm-hmm. learning that resilience muscle, then all of a sudden when they get in that situation, because they've been strong over here, mm-hmm. they can finally stand up and they don't have to start screaming or anything. But like you no. said, come talk with you, mm-hmm. you know, come talk with a person who's, who's being, who's being, you know, you know, disrespected. Yeah. And it's such a strong point to, to work up to that because mm-hmm. to expect people just to like go from like being like quiet and all of a sudden just standing up on the bus, hey, yeah, yeah. it's probably, probably a lot. Although well, that's, that's, like, that's what you did. It's a verbal, it's a verbal attack. Like yeah. if someone was wailing like physically yeah. on Asiya, people would have ripped the guy off of her. So I'd it's hope. like, yeah. you'd hope, right? Hope. So it's like, it'd be this, it should be the same for verbal attacks as well. Yeah. 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 They're just as damaging. Yes. Yeah. It kind of just as him. It kind of made me think about I mean I didn't watch the video with George Floyd, mm-hmm. but in in that video there was also another police officer that was there. Was like four of them. That was standing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He wasn't mm-hmm. his knee wasn't on the man's head, but he was standing there. And, and again, it. it it brings back to that whole are you part of the solution mm-hmm. or are you just standing there watching? Mm-hmm. And when you make that decision, it's Especially when you know your position, whether you're in uniform, whether you're not, whether you're a man of color, a woman of color, regardless, if you're in that position, you have control with what's happening within your locus of control. So what is your decision? And are you going to choose to make it better mm-hmm. or not? Mm-hmm. And, and that's almost equally as damaging yeah, if yes, you 100%. choose to not engage on mm-hmm. making it better. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so... Yeah, when I see like, oh, like, put that man in jail. It's like, but what about the next person that was there watching? Yeah. What about the person that was recording? Or what was, there's so many different factors. And regardless of where you are in that situation, you can do something. Yeah. You can. You have to. Yeah. Yeah, and Mm-mm. I was going to, um, I was thinking a few minutes ago, um, one of my big takeaways from attending the rally on Sunday was just, getting smacked in the face with this is prevalent mm. in Victoria. I've grown up here. I love the city. Um, and maybe I thought we were better than that here. And so hearing your stories now, hearing the stories that I heard on stage on Sunday um, was a big time wake up call. And then realizing, oh, you know, that's actually my white privilege that mm. is talking right there. That's why I had that narrative that it wasn't an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, just big big pieces of awareness that I, I love talking about awareness I think that um, being self-aware taking things from our unconscious and bringing them into our conscious is, is one of the best things we can do one of the best uses of our time and, mm-hmm. and that's what you were doing for people by sending those messages out so I just wanted to applaud that Thank you. Um, another another point that I wanted to, uh, to touch on is has to do with the reaction to some of the rallies that are taking place. Mm. And we've, we've mentioned anger and there, there has been uh, an undercurrent of anger t- about the rallies and, and linking them to a uh, potential rise in COVID mm. and, and the impact that um, gatherings ha- might have on the spread of COVID. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wanted to, put that out there and also make the important note that that happened six days ago now Mm -hmm. in Victoria you all put great social distancing measures into place and everyone was wearing masks and there's still zero known cases on Vancouver Island Mm -hmm. so uh, for anyone who was upset that it was happening because it might spread well it didn't Mm -hmm. so that's an important thing but I would just um, I just wanted to put it out and ask where you think that anger might be coming from uh, towards the rallies that are happening. Mm-hmm. For me, 
Um, I, I understand the anger. And I think when it comes to COVID, it's not that we're not taking it seriously. It's not that it's not a pandemic. It's not that it's not a threat. But as a black person, our lives have been threatened for years, for centuries, for decades, for the history of these lands, ours, our indigenous brothers and sisters, any minority. It's, it's a constant thing. It is a constant narrative. And I think the people who feel like they have a right to pick one over the other, one struggle over the other, I think that's just. I think that just outlines that privilege. Um, it wasn't that we weren't taking it seriously. It wasn't that we didn't put the measures in place. But we couldn't be silent any longer because every single time a black man, woman, sister, brother, uncle, aunt dies, there's an uprising. There's anger. There's sadness. There's grief. There is a swirl of emotions, and then nobody gives a crap anymore. And then it happens again. And then nobody gives a crap. And then it happens again. And it's just a, a never-ending swirl. And I think within us, at least us three, we are, as well as our community in this generation, we were done. Enough was enough. We were done, like absolutely done with just letting it die, with just letting it sit. And we wanted to let people know that, that this is also a pandemic. Consider the fact everything ended. Businesses were closed. Like, schools were closed, and yet murder is still happening to our brothers and sisters. How? How is that possible? And how are we not speaking about it? It was just, it was enough. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little upset right now. And just and just to outline that, like, even within the intersections, like the trans population, the mm. LGBTQ+, mm-hmm. plus, you know, um, black individuals as well, that have been consistently being silenced, you know, when it comes to media attention and the hashtags Mm -hmm. oftentimes we don't hear the people within the intersections as well which is why when we had this rally we were trying to be considerate of you know people that need services in terms Mm -hmm. of accessibility um, in terms of the location if it's accessible as well that's why when we had 10,000 people pull up on the live feed it was we were trying to be mindful of hey if you are for the movement and you want to engage, mm-hmm. here's a way that you can. Yeah. And we want mm-hmm. to cater. And we're still learning. Like We literally did this <laughs> in a week. And for the next thing that we do, for the next, we want to continue mm. to meet the intersections. Yeah. Because oftentimes, it's not about the intersections. It's People about the, the overhead of everything. Yeah. So um, I think, again, enough was enough. Yeah. And it's important to showcase the different platforms and voices in that. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Even just with the Blackout Tuesday, and we just wanted to continue that narrative. Yeah. Keep, keep it going. Because I, I even posted on my personal media um, about Blackout Tuesday. And it's like, okay, like, you guys all posted about it. Now what? Like, t- today's Wednesday. What are you guys still doing mm-hmm. to, you know, keep up with the activism? Mm-hmm. And I think it's just so important that we just continue it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it goes back to what, what Chappelle was, was referring to about the streets are crying out. He can't not say something. Yeah. <clears throat> And, and this is really the beginnings of the Black Lives Matter movement, which was seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was three women who started it. And it, and yeah, it was, um, I think, in response to um, Trayvon Martin's Trayvon, yeah. murder. Yeah. And, and so it started as, as a ground, like as an organic movement of three people saying, we can't, you know, we We're can't. Tired. Yeah, we have to do something. Yeah. And so, so you're continuing that legacy of like, we can't not do something and so i'm sorry if it's inconvenient right now because there's a you know you know pandemic going on but mm-hmm. there's a pandemic that's been going on for hundreds of years yeah. and, and the whole idea of um these all these people worried about catching a catching a virus that's gonna keep them from breathing well guess what yeah. you know exactly yeah. george floyd yeah yeah right Eric Garner, um, like yeah. what about that yeah. what about that pandemic it's just our about, problems are never the, the, the priority it's enough, never, yeah. it's never yeah. enough death, never enough violence yeah. for, for us to have that narrative, for That's us right. to be what people are focusing on. There's always something more important, and we're tired of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there was a quote that I, that I brought from Trevor Noah, who mm-hmm. put out an amazing like, 17, 18-minute video that I would encourage everyone... Um, whether you're agreeing with everything that's being said in the conversation <laughs> or not, mm-hmm. I would really encourage everyone to check it out. Um, the quote is... That and, and I mean, Trevor Noah, for those who don't know, he not only has the experience with the apartheid in South Africa, mm-hmm. but then he came uh, as a black man to America and he's doing incredible work. Um, he said there's no right way to protest because that's what protest is. Mm-hmm. It cannot be right because you're protesting against the things that are stopping you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So I think that um, that sums it up pretty pretty incredibly. You know, the other thing about the about the Black Lives Matter that's that's so awesome. This was said actually in the thirteenth documentary. Was the great thing about it is it's not like an organization with a fixed address mm. because the address mm. is the hearts and minds of mm. everybody, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's why Black Lives Matter stands for hope because because yeah. it, it can never actually be stamped out yeah. or blown up yeah. or shut down because yeah. the only way it can be is if people stop talking. And I yeah. thought it was such a powerful thing, and it really, really I think cl- clears up what Black Lives Matter is and isn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think um, people are always that narrative of Black Lives Matter and all lives matter. And the thing is that this idea that we're basically just stating that all lives can't matter until Black Lives Matter as well, you know. Exactly. Um, and it's also the fact that when we're pushing, um, when we're pushing for Black Lives to Matter, we're not just pushing the Black agenda. We're pushing a human agenda. We're asking for human rights right now. We're literally just asking for the right to live. Yes. And 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 we're yeah. starting there. We want more, but like we're literally just starting there. Yeah. So how do you turn this movement into the new status quo, into what is normal? And <laughs> I think Asiya might have an answer because you just started dancing. <laughs> um, but I, that's a huge question for me is it, how do we take this from conversations that we have just after a man gets murdered, an innocent man uh, without a weapon gets murdered or woman or child or whatever it might be into our reality? I just wanted to let one of my fellow women take that. But the reason I'm so excited is because post-rally, we have not stopped. I mean, every single day we're meeting. Every single day our day might end at 11 and we're starting again at 10 or 9 a.m. Like, we are pushing because we refuse to let the narrative die. And we're, we're constantly thinking, what is next? How can our allies help? How can the community help? And so I'm excited to hear what the girls have to say. But we, I'm just excited. I'm just excited. <laughs> I think... It's great because we showcased our voices. Mm-hmm. We came to Victoria like, listen, we're here. And I think with that, now that we're, we're meeting each other, mm-hmm. um, I think it's an opportunity that we can unify. Because mm-hmm. when you div- we're divided, it's easy to conquer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think when we're unified, movements can happen. And with that, um, it's making demands seeing change. Mm-hmm. We're calling you to action mm-hmm. to engage in conversations when you're at t- dinner table. Mm-hmm. We're calling you to action to step up and stand up for someone else. We're calling you to action mm-hmm. to invest in black businesses. Mm-hmm. We're calling to action to invest in community. Mm-hmm. And what that means is whether that means relocating, you know, funds or that right now we're engaging in our community. Mm-hmm. And that's the call to action is how mm-hmm. can we as a community regardless of what you look like or who you are, can you invest in the community that we mm-hmm. have here in Victoria? Mm-hmm. Because racism does happen here. Mm-hmm. And if we're able to spread awareness, but also act upon that awareness, mm-hmm. the movement will only continue mm-hmm. to stay alive yeah. and we can never be silenced in that way. Yes. 100. Yeah. It's about recognizing everyone's power and privilege. Everyone, everyone individually in whatever space they hold has some influence, has some sway. And so we, we, we are just all about doing the work. And whether that looks like a workshop, another in-depth event with different organizations and associations, there are people, schools reaching out, there are organizations and associations reaching out. Right now, we just want to talk, but we want to let you know that we are committed to letting you know that you need to do the work and helping you there. But it's also recognizing that we're not doing all of the work for you. We're letting you know what you need to do, and then you need to decide whether or not you're going to take that on and how far you want to take that. Um, because that's that's also part of it. As as people who've been pushed down, it's not now our job to go and tell you and hand feed you and walk you into what it is. Like we can only take you part of the way, but after research. that, it's really up to you. Yeah, but we'll push you. Yes. <laughs> we'll guide you along the way. Yeah, that's what leaders do. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to you know, if someone's listening to this or like, what can I do? They might feel like you. What can I do? Mm-hmm. You know, and, well, look what you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First of all, mm-hmm. um, you'd be surprised what you can do. But I think a good place to start is is what you can do actually right now. And mm-hmm. like we're podcast hosts, so we can do this. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. something. Yeah. This hopefully this isn't everything, mm-hmm. but this is something because mm-hmm. we're, we're set up. We know how to do this, so we're doing this. Yes. Yeah. Well, guess what? There's and we're doing this okay. <laughs> <laughs> and when we edit it, we'll do it really well. <laughs> but but uh, but there's people all over this nation, mm-hmm. all over the island that have. 
such amazing skills and yeah. expertise in other areas. Start there. Yeah. Start with your skill and expertise. But, you know, if you need to go back even further and reconcile the fact that you've never locked eyes with someone that isn't equal to you, mm. like you need to you need to deal with that, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Like we need to get that. Once that's in, yeah. okay, now use your position mm. and, and the, what you can do and your talent and your organization yeah. to start to make meaningful change. Yeah. And I think, you know, then it's not as overwhelming because it's like, well, I'm already set up to do that. Yeah. Now I just mm-hmm. need to kind of do it like over here mm-hmm. yeah. it's about educating yourself exactly. like I was saying we're not looking for ignorant followers we're looking for educated allies we're looking for people who recognize why we're fighting the fight that we're fighting so a lot of my friends have been all over my chats like what shows do you think we should watch what books do you think we should read and I sent them lists and so literally they're having a Netflix party every evening watching like the 13th like people are now educating themselves on the reality because unless you know the history how can you move forward mm-hmm. and so that's also part of it like taking the time reading the books reading everything you can consuming that knowledge and and we don't ever expect you to literally understand but as you said you don't understand but you can still stand Mm -hmm. and so it's really it's really about just taking every step that you can towards that goal but it's 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 not a sprint it's a marathon and so there are actually some people that i'm talking to now who came to the rally and are now recognizing that their friends are racist and so they're engaging in all these conversations and they're fighting these big battles but it's like you have to take time for yourself because it hurts it's exhausting when you're literally hitting a brick wall and you're talking about human right and people aren't understanding that and you feel like you have to explain why you're important on this earth and someone's not getting that narrative it's like you you have to recognize you have to take that time so it's a marathon but it's a little, a little hustle in that. I had a conversation with my sister about that too because yeah. she's been full throttle just mm-hmm. on her social media posting because my sister is Caucasian as well and no one in my family quite understands the movement. Mm-hmm. And so she's been trying to educate all her friends plus my family and she was just saying like, Vanessa, like, I don't get it. Like, how are you doing this? It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you need to take time for yourself because like Asiya said, it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so thanks for um, not taking Saturday off. And, and <laughs> um, I, I have a couple couple places that I want to go, um, and and we are getting closer to the time where we we said we were going to wrap. But we won't we won't hold super tight to that if if that's okay with, with totally each of you. Um, so one is you mentioned resources or, or films or, or mm-hmm. books. Um, I invite each of you. Uh, Share something. Share share a book or a movie that people listening who who want to be educated mm-hmm. allies. Um, what what should they look to, or or who should they read? Um, and we can put these in the show notes as well if if you want to um, provide more resources for people. But uh, what comes to mind for for a, a good a good place to start that is also going to maybe provide some entertainment or or uh, it'll keep people engaged. I think of the first one that I started at was uh, 13th. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was more of a lens that showed the systematic implications of racism, mm-hmm. how it was ingrained through um, different uh, leadership uh, in the States. Um, you could kind of also see that um, it's very much focused in the United States, but you can also see how that is quite similar to how it is in Canada with the mass incarcerations of Indigenous peoples um, and just seeing... Um, kind of the same systems that oppress um, people of color. Mm -hmm. So being exposed to that and how it is in the States and kind of how that marries on to um, how it is in Canada. So Totally. And just before, one thing that I mentioned, and and the three of you are the experts here, not not I, but my perception of, um, of of that issue is that we absorb the culture. Even though we don't have the policies and the government that the United States does, we we get so much mm-hmm. of their media and their images and mm-hmm. and their culture that mm-hmm. uh, it's going to trickle through even if um, even if some of the uh, actual politics doesn't come over. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if you consider social media, everything's online now, so you can't. You're constantly influenced by all of these images, the narrative, just everything that you see and hear. So. While we physically have borders, the content that we're receiving, that's borderless. It's just uh, over-saturation of everything. So, yeah, that's very accurate around the nose. Um, a book that I would recommend, actually, there was a author that came to the University of Victoria. Her name is Robin D'Angelo. And when I first heard about this book, I was like, I'm not too sure about this because it's called White Fragility. Why is it so hard for white people to talk about race? And it's a white woman writing that book. And when she came to speak, I was like, is this going to be some, well, it's just because it's not our fault or X, Y, and Z. But she goes in. She, I mean, she is like one of the most mindful 
like present um, people of of white privilege power who just fully recognizes what that means in and of itself. But also, I think there's power in hearing from your own people. Why? Because I think sometimes people are hearing from um, from people of color or whatever that they have privilege and it's hurt and there's defense there. But if you hear something from someone of your own race, someone of your own color, someone who looks like you and carries your same privilege, telling you why this is wrong or that is wrong, ah, uh, it was a great book. It was a great book. Definitely recommend. So I am not much of a Netflix person, um, so I can't really. <laughs> I don't even. Oh yeah, I don't even have an account. Um, so you're the one. <laughs> that one percent, yeah. The one percent. Trying yeah. to give it to her, but she won't take it. I know, right? Um. So yeah, I'm more into like reading scholarly journals as well as podcasts. It's so um, much better. Let's be honest. <laughs> Says so the podcast guys. <laughs> so I don't have like. Unfortunately, I don't have specific podcasts that I can recommend, but TED Talks mm-hmm. um, on YouTube mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as on iTunes, mm-hmm. I would highly recommend. Mm-hmm. I don't have a specific one. I just yeah. love them all. <laughs> I mean, if we're thinking about that as well, like there's three people that I listen to and, and like um, Martin Luther King, Malcolm mm-hmm. X, and James Baldwin. Oh, yes. And 100%. you can find a yeah. lot of the recordings on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it frustrated me, but invigorated me because I was listening to them pre-rally. And it really just hyping you up that as well but i'm listening to what they're saying and i'm like this is the exact same situation that we're in you know and while physically a lot of policy has changed the struggles of our people are so similar or even the same and it's just like it 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 just invigorated me to be like this will not be like this 40 years from now like i refuse for like my child to be listening to a podcast and be like "Eh, eh, it's the same thing no um but listening to those three because i think I think it just also helps um, listeners or people who are allies to just fully understand the breadth of what it is that we, we go to, through as a people, like for, for the histories and generations that yeah. we have. Because even like, you don't even have to look up specifically like racism, like no. podcasts, like mm-hmm. even like cultural appropriation. Like mm-hmm. if you want to look that up, mm-hmm. there's so many yeah. scholarly journals and podcasts about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and some people listening might think, I mean, why do I need to read and listen to all that? I know racism exists and I'm not a racist. Um, so this goes back to something that um, Ibram Kendi says in his book. I'm going to keep bringing him up because I think it's so important. But he says in his book that we're so rain-soaked in racism in our culture, mm-hmm. we don't even know it until someone hands us an umbrella. 100%. Yep. And, and, and this is the umbrella we're talking about. Yes. Yes. The books, the documentaries, the podcasts. Yes. Once you realize, like when I watched the 13th, I mean, I was, I, I was, you know, felt anger and mm-hmm. shame. Mm-hmm. How did I not know this? Mm-hmm. I felt the tears. I was just like this is just, how can this have happened mm-hmm. on our watch? And mm-hmm. then someone in there was like saying, you know, people said, oh, I would have never been part of the slavery from in the 1800s. That's horrible. Yeah. It's like, you're part of it right, right now. now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's like, but, but, but we just, we don't see it because it's like we said, systemic. It's yeah. so systemic. And yeah. so how can we, you know, and by, I guess, watching some of these and reading the books, we can start to see how, oh, okay, it is so ingrained in our mm-hmm. culture and systems mm-hmm. that um, I've been blind to it. And yeah. I've been maybe unknowingly saying or doing racist things, um, not on purpose, but, but just, just, not, just knowing. not knowing and yeah. ignorant, but, yeah. which isn't an excuse. But. No, but no. And but for us, it's not as though we are above. We can't be against any other because there are a lot of groups out there. And like, it's about constant learning. It's about being mindful. It's the fact that we have thoughts and ideas in our head, but where do we get them? What did we watch? Where did I get this term? Why am I referring to myself as a minority and these people as a majority? Majority? Like, is that because of the socioeconomic? Is that because of race specifically? Or is that because of society? Is that just like, why? Why are we using these terms? Unpacking small things like that because it is so ingrained in our culture that we are even in some cases hurting ourselves because we don't recognize we're putting ourselves down because of this narrative. Like growing up as a child, I'm sure we all heard that people are going to look at you differently and you just need to work twice, three times as hard. And that's the narrative that I have. And I I feel like that's the narrative I'm probably going to have to tell my kids. Um, But it's like I'm already putting myself at a level that I'm down here and I have to work to get to their level. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's constantly in my head and I haven't been able to unpack that. And that's detrimental on me and the future generation and so it's just why do we think the, the things that we think and where where are they coming from so one thing that comes to mind and, and this is going to be um, one of the last questions that I have for, <laughs> for each of you um, but you mentioned the, the overwhelm and the, the amount of work that you have to do just to continue to spread 
positive messages and, and push against these systems of oppression. Um, so it, it can be an important thing in, in many realms to define what success actually looks like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in your case, in, in your movement, mm. how, which, I mean, is, is our movement, is, as you mentioned, it, equality, um, it, it betters things for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but how will you know that you've been successful? I personally don't think we're going to see the fruits of our labor sure. in this generation. Yeah in this lifetime maybe a little bit but mm-hmm. with regards to the whole movement and you know racism mm-hmm. in a whole I don't yeah. think we're gonna see the yeah see it I think I mean my I'm a huge daddy's girl and <laughs> um my dad's whether I played volleyball and we lost and he's like did you work as hard as you can did you give it your 100 percent yeah but we lost no but how did you engage and how did you mm-hmm. play mm-hmm. well I I got the MVP award. Great. You did your job. And I think for me, success isn't necessarily the outcome, but it's the process in which Mm -hmm. we get to that. And I think the process of sitting here, having a conversation, Mm -hmm. unpacking things that we haven't, you know, discussed, like there's certain things that Sia said that I didn't know that you said I didn't know. And I think it's the process and the journey Mm -hmm. is what success looks like. And I think if we continue to engage with, okay, so how do I no longer be a racist well i don't know how to answer that mm-hmm. but i can tell you how you can become better mm-hmm. and i can also work to become better mm-hmm. and through that i think is success yeah well even this yeah as as pam just said like the people listening to this podcast right now they're part of the success yeah they're mm-hmm. part of growing and yeah. making a change and i think as well with us three it's not about our egos it's not about us being the leader of this revolution so say it's it's about making sure that there's like that horizontal leadership because we're going to get tired mm-hmm. and we're and this is this fight whenever that age looks like is going to end for us. And so I think success looks like making sure that there is a generation behind to pick that up because mm-hmm. we have brought them along the way we have let them lead and they're comfortable taking that over. It's not now that we ourselves are done and so the ball is dropped because there's no one who has that passion. There's no one who has mm-hmm. that energy. It's about engaging all of our generations because this is going to be a fight that our children will have to fight and so on and so forth but we don't want to feel we don't want them to feel as though they have to start back from the beginning so for me success looks like them knowing they have a voice and they're just they're just they're they're building off of us you know Mm -hmm. we're we're building a foundation for them and they're building off of us and i and i i like to think that that's that's something we can create yeah yeah. Beautiful. And and we know pro progress is impossible without conversation. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's where it starts yeah. and it, that's where it continues. And and I think uh, we live in a time where um, we've lost the art of the conversation. That's one of the things that Andrew and I love about doing this mm. is every week we get to sit down with yeah. brilliant, courageous people and listen to their take on the world and how they're getting through life. Mm-hmm. And we need to have these kind of conversations way more often. Mm-hmm. And I know we're isolated right now, mm-hmm. but we've lost that art. Yeah. You know, we're, we've become an emoji text culture. Mm-hmm. We, need, we need to get back to like having these conversations mm-hmm. that matter. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people might be scared to have these kind of conversations yeah. because um, our culture tends to jump on people when they say something maybe just a little yeah. bit offline. Yeah. And so people are scared to say anything. Mm-hmm. So they sit on the bus and they're quiet. Exactly. Yeah, right? exactly. And, and we need to get that courage back to be able to say what we feel and believe and, and be and, and be and trust the process. Yeah. Like you said. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I think that's, a, that's just such an important message. Don't don't play it safe. Like nobody got to the end of their life and oh, I'm so glad I played it safe. Right? Yeah, come on. You know what, granddad? Oh yeah. Yeah, granddad played it safe. What a guy. You know what, what a guy. guy. What a guy. You know what a guy. It's it's look what they did. They broke down walls. You know they they yeah. they built new things and and that that starts with conversations mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. Uh, we're we're so glad that that you took time out of your increasingly busy schedule. Yes, like, how, how do we even book you actually? And uh, yeah, it's it's so important. But this is this is the beginning. Like yeah. you said on Sunday, this is the beginning. Absolutely. What happens next is up to us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, John and I, we we um, are honored to be in this room with the three of you right now. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to do something um, to help take action, however possible. Um, the guest we just had on, uh, we interviewed her four days ago. Um, the same day we heard back from, mm-hmm. from you three that, that you were up for coming on and 
Um, she's a, a local artist up in Cowichan area, and she does um, paintings of black rappers. Oh and um, she has a painting um, th- of Nipsey Hussle. Oh, oh wow! Oh. And yeah, so for those of you who don't know, um, my boy. Yeah, he was. Uh, he passed away in 2019. He was shot. He, was um, he had created in LA a co-working space for children. Mm-hmm. Um, who could go there and study technology and science and math. Um, he created that. He spoke out against gang members uh, and affiliations. Mm-hmm. And uh, Barack Obama, in fact, said of him, while most folks look at the Crenshaw neighborhood in L.A. where he grew up and see only gangs, bullets, and despair, Nipsey saw potential. Mm-hmm. So I um, wanted to let the three of you know that um, Coco Jones, the local artist who painted this, uh, is willing to donate uh, the piece of art and we were going to offer it up uh, create an auction to the charity of your choices um, oh, oh my god that's and, insane uh, you can't see our faces right now we're all shocked like oh yeah, my goodness so, so you don't have to tell us the charity right now um, oh we're going to go live with that auction uh, the same day we put this episode out but um, oh my goodness yeah it's just our honor to um to be here and we wanted to say That's thanks for, for what you've done thank and you. just continue thank you so much and thank you Coco Jones it's amazing yes. thank you yeah. yeah and that's the thing we've actually it's been a lot of work but we've had a few key people of community who are behind us on taking care of ourselves and providing supports whether that looks like literal a hug or food like they're there are key people in this community who are looking out for us in that way um, and looking out for this movement and looking out for this project and who want to do that kind of work. And I think that gives us so much hope for, like, yes, there's work to do, but there are so many people who just were waiting, the waiting to do keep, something. Yeah, the and, oh, that's so cool. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, I think, uh, I think for this conversation, at least, it's time to bring it to a close. But um, we hope this is the first of many yes. uh, with... The, you three powerful, strong women who um, are such an inspiration to to us and, and everyone listening and uh, and many others out there. So, thank you for being here. Thank, thank you, you for, having, you for us. having us. And that's the episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us at all the usual places. Obstaclecoursepodcast.com. We're very active on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast. And speaking of Facebook, we have a great new growing community called the Obstacle Course Community that you can join, dialogue with Andrew and I and your fellow listeners about the previous week's episode and any obstacles you're dealing with. And we do appreciate reviews, whether it's on iTunes, Google, Facebook, whatever. It helps people find the podcast. And it has nothing to do with our fragile egos. Well... Uh, you know, we just like to hear back from great people just like yourselves. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep pushing through those obstacles. <laughs>